If you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you and want to follow along, just raise your hand and um, somebody will bring a Bible to you. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Father in heaven, Lord, God, as we are gathered here, Your word is opened. Lord, nothing's going to happen here unless the Spirit of God is at work with the word of God. So I pray, Father, that you would bless our time in uh, in this study. Lord, that your word would speak to the hearts of your people. And you would be about your ministry, Father, in our lives here now. That this would not be a a box that we check, or a religious activity that we do. But Lord, we want to hear from the Word. We want to hear from you speak from this precious book. Father, help us to have our minds and our hearts ready and prepared for what's coming. In Jesus' name, amen. A number of years ago, somebody posed this question. I don't don't remember if if I was at a... uh, like a youth camp, or, or if it was actually somebody who was actually asking me. I don't recall. I just remember this question being asked. Are you a chicken Christian or a pig Christian? Now, when I first heard that, I was A, uh, offended, and B, um, <laughs> extremely curious, what on earth is this individual speaking of? Are you a chicken Christian or a pig Christian? Then he went further to explain himself, and he gave this little illustration about the donations, quote-unquote, that the chicken makes to breakfast and that the pig makes to breakfast. The chicken, obviously, donates its eggs and lives. The pig, sadly, does not. Um, And it was funny. But then it got really serious. Because then he asked the question, are you a pig Christian or a chicken Christian? Are you one who is truly in or are you playing games? 
Are you playing games? Are you telling people you're a Christian when you're not? Are, are, you, are you giving all of the external pictures that you truly are a Christian saved, but really the whole thing's a lie? That this whole time you've been talking about it, but it's not real, it's not true, it's not genuine. The passage I want to open up to you guys this morning is on this subject of what is it to be a pig Christian? My hope and prayer is all of you leave here as pig Christians. Um, <laughs> yeah, so take that quote and go share that with everybody you know. Our pastor said. Um, so if you look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Notice he first off, he says, therefore, or in light of. Now, commentators differ on in light of what? Some folks say, is this in light of just the last few verses of chapter 11? Or is this in light of the whole of chapters 1 to 11? Uh, I land on this referring to the whole of chapters 1 to 11. Because there's a, there's a division here in the passage that you see often in the writings of the Apostle Paul. Often in Paul's writings, you see the first half of his book, you see this in Galatians, you see this in Ephesians, is basically purely theological, and then the second half of the book is application. Well, in chapter 12 through chapter 15, we see almost pure application from the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. So when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, in light of, I take that as the whole of the book thus far. Let me just remind you guys this, because it's something very important for the rest of this message. Don't forget that the little, if you look down at your Bible, do you see after chapter, or after verse 2, rather, a division? In the ESV, it says gifts of grace, and it's a whole new chapter division there. Let me just remind you, those chapter divisions, the verse divisions, and those headings, that is not inspired. That was not originally in this letter when the Apostle Paul wrote this to Rome. So let us be careful to detach portions of the, of the text from its context. It's like if I were to write a letter <coughs> to my wife and somebody were to take that and then put different headings and break it up and chopped up the context in which I was speaking, it, there's potential that it could do harm to the meaning. And so let us be careful not to detach 12 from the first part of the book verses 1 and 2, but let us be even more careful not to detach verses 3 through the rest of the chapter from verses 1 and 2. The reason I say that is so often when you hear the preaching of this passage, it's usually just verses 1 and 2, which I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying at some point we have to recognize this sits in a context. It's important to understand it in its context. The apostle says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Appeal, exhort, urge. It's, it's uh, basically, I, I am challenging you with this. This is, this is a challenge I'm laying in front of you. This is not something that I, I am taking lightly or I want you to take lightly. I'm not playing games here. I have dead earnestness in what I'm saying here. This is the most sincere I can be in what I'm calling you to here. Sometimes we can get so comfortable with Christianity and with the, the precious truths that we have, we can, we can start to take it for granted and use it lightly. 
Paul says, I appeal to you, and please notice who he's appealing to. This is very important. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. This does not just mean all the males in the church. It's another word for all the church, brothers and sisters, brethren, the whole church body. I appeal to you, Christian, is what he's saying. This is not for the world. This is, this is not for the unsaved. This is for the saved specifically. I appeal to you, beloved of God. I appeal to you who are in Christ. And on what basis? Notice it says, by the mercies of God. This concept of the mercy of God is always the foundation. This entire charge is wholly built on the sovereign grace of the living God. Paul's appeal here is not dependent on man's ability, but on God's grace. It's tough at times trying to find new ways to say something because so easily we become accustomed to this language. But beloved, I'm I'm wanting to express that with, with fresh zeal or with fresh eyes to see that the fact, what he's saying here, I'm not appealing to you on the basis of something you're capable of. I'm appealing to you on the basis of the mercy of God. Because God has been merciful, I am laying this appeal before you. Paul calls on God's people to do what? Look at the text. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Obviously, this is drawn from the Old Testament sacrificial system. When people heard sacrifice, that's what they would think of. But he's putting a modifier on there that's different, that's brand new. He says, I'm calling you to be a living sacrifice. Now, I don't know about our day, but in this day, if they heard the word sacrifice, what word do you think they would automatically connect to sacrifice? I'll give you a hint. Not alive. Dead. When he hears sacrifice, he thinks death, the spilling of blood for the remission of sins, this, this concept of death, there would be death. So then the Apostle Paul comes and he says, now I'm appealing to you to be a living sacrifice. And the big question everybody has is, what on earth is a living sacrifice? Everybody there had a good grasp on what a dead sacrifice was. Yes, okay. But a living sacrifice... is trickier. It's a lot trickier. I'll give you an illustration. Perhaps, brothers, if we had the opportunity to lay our lives down for the sake of our wives, I would hope and pray you'd do it in an instant for their sake. And please know what I'm saying when I say this. Uh, Understand kind of where I'm coming from. That's easy. You know what's really hard? 50 years of being ready to do that. 60 years of being ready to do that. It's one thing to take 500 bucks out of your wallet, set it down, and then to go. But to go dime by dime by dime is far more difficult. And that's exactly what he's calling on God's people to be here. I'm not calling you necessarily to be martyred physically right now. I'm calling you to be a living sacrifice. 
Now, when the passage says to present your bodies, he doesn't just mean your physical body. This is the whole of the man, the whole of the woman. I'm willing, I want to give my mind, I want to give my heart, I want to give my emotions, I want to give my job, I want to give my money, I want to give everything I have, and I want to place it on that altar and say, Lord, yours. Now, here's the interesting part. This is the part that's so hard for me at times talking with folks who, who aren't Christians or who don't believe this. Because when I talk like that, when I talk to people about, man, get all in, be a pig Christian, go after it, don't leave anything on the field, that kind of talk, the world hears that, and it, at times it can come off like I'm selling a lemon to them, right? Like I'm twisting the arm. Here's the trick biblically, though. Really, what you're doing is you're telling the world you are settling for so much less. That's the, that's the reality. Here's the thing. When you sacrifice all and put it on the altar before the Lord, that's where fullness of joy rests. It doesn't rest in us filling our, our bank accounts. It doesn't rest in us buying the next pretty thing. And I'm not talking down to anybody. I love pretty things. I married one. It's like five points right there. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's not, yeah, it's, it's not, uh, that wasn't in the notes. So, <clears throat> it's not in that. And here's the tough part, beloved, is that our world, our world is flooded with that kind of advice. You will not be happy until you buy this, do this, taste this, travel here, do that. There's always this carrot hanging out there. You will never be satisfied unless you do fill in the blank. That's advertisements. That is the merchandising of our world. And yet here's the gospel. Here's the Lord saying, okay, you could have have all the stuff that man could make, or you could have the living God. And the fact that we even stop and ponder that is insanity. And yet there's a daily grind. Paul says, no, 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 I appeal to you, be a daily sacrifice. Now, I know about you, but when we hear sacrifice, we think difficulty, we think trial, we think heartache, all that comes with that language. But, beloved, the reality is what he's calling you to here is absolute, full satisfaction, full joy in the Lord. He's not playing games. He's not calling you to add and sprinkle a pinch of religion onto your life. He's saying, I want everything, everything. I'm not asking you for a part of you. I'm saying I want it all. This isn't new. This isn't just the Apostle Paul saying this. Remember, the Lord Jesus said, all those that would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Jesus said, anybody who loves father or mother or daughter or son-in-law more than me is not worthy of me. Now, he's not saying, therefore, you should hate them. What he's saying is, you should not have anybody in my place. And so here's Paul coming with the exact same statement that our, that our Lord said. This is not a new teaching. This is just a new phrase, a living sacrifice. And he describes it. He says to be a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to God. God calls his people to be a holy and acceptable sacrifice. Now, there's a tricky translation here. If you look down, it says, which is your spiritual worship? That word spiritual 
is a difficult word because another translation of that word could be your logical worship, your rational worship, your fitting worship. This befits who you are and what has happened in your life. Um, But it's a richer word than that, and it's translated in another portion in in the New Testament as spiritual. Remember when Peter says that they thirst for the spiritual milk of the word? It's the same Greek word. And so ESV says spiritual. But I kind of push the two together, and I think, I believe what Paul's getting at is that this is the fitting spiritual response to God. This just makes sense. This is the rational response. When you ask the question, for instance, when we talk about the gospel, we think about the fact of Jesus Christ's death on the cross for Dan Mason's sin and my and his righteousness accredited to me, so God sees the perfection of Jesus Christ when he looks at Dan and accepts me. That's how I'm holy and acceptable, by the way. When we talk about that gospel truth, the question would be, what is a fitting response to that? To be a living sacrifice. This is your fitting, your rational, your spiritual worship. This is the right and proper response to what has taken place. Now, if you look at verse 2, he speaks about how this happens on a day-by-day basis. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Conformity to the world is a very fascinating concept. J.B. Phillips, his, the way he translated that Greek phrase was, don't be squeezed into the world's mold. Okay? So, you think about, um, say, you're heating up a bunch of steel, and then you have this mold, and you're going to pour that steel into that mold, and then you shape it. You didn't, and they go, okay, so now it's conformed to this image. We, we've poured it in there, we've squeezed it into place, and we've made it what we want it to be. There's heat, there's tension, there's all kinds of pressure going on. Now, what a great application to what's happening in this text and what's happening in our world right now. The world is not saying, if you want. The world is saying, of course you want. The world is calling and begging. Think about this, guys. If you were to take your cell phone, your computer, your radio, your television, your unsafe friends, your coworkers, and take every little aspect of the world's voice in your life, and you ask this question, which one of these is pointing me to Jesus Christ? What's the answer? Nada. So, how, how much pressure is in this world to conform us to the way of this world? It's breathtaking to me when I look around and say, wow. That's how much pressure is on Dan Mason and on his kids. And it's easy, isn't it? You don't want to upset your coworker. You don't want to upset your boss. You don't want to upset your your neighbor. You don't want to upset your dad, your relative. And they're saying, well, of course you wouldn't do this, right? Of course you wouldn't say that there's only one way to be saved. Of course you wouldn't, you wouldn't say that that's a sin, right? You wouldn't say that. And that's usually how it's verbalized to you. You don't think this is the case, do you? And then this light shines in your eyes and a hose starts dripping on you. And you, you know, right, right? 
It feels like that sometimes where all the people, and I've seen this before, where you're around in a group of people, somebody poses a question to you and they say, you don't believe that. You don't actually believe in the young earth, right? You don't really, you're not that crazy, right? And it's almost like people just come, they drop their tools and they just come up and they all want to watch. What is he going to say? Because we've got him. And I would be lying if I told you I didn't feel pressure. Now, I'm not going to lie. I, I know what I'm saying. I know how I'm going to answer, but I'm bracing for impact as I'm about to say it. But, beloved, that pressure of the conforming to this world is so true. You ever been there where you're at a work crew or friends or even a family gathering, and you walk up to the group, and as you step into the group, the whole conversation dies, and they all stare at you. For me, it's usually when somebody goes, oh, okay, well, what do you do? <laughs> I sell insurance. <clears throat> I, from my heart, beloved, I want to encourage you. I want, and what I mean by that is what that word means. I want to bring fresh encouragement to you. I want to give you courage. Can I encourage you with this? The next time you feel that temperature drop, and they all act like that. Don't be ashamed. It's a good thing. You're salt and light. Did you think it was going to be easy? Don't, don't feel embarrassed of Jesus. Don't apologize for him. That's their problem. They don't know Christ. They need Jesus. You know that. Don't feel sheepish. Now, if, if you walk up and everything goes silent because you have the worst jokes in the county, then, then you got something going wrong there. But when you walk up and you know specifically, they all know, I'm religious, I'm a Christian, they aren't. Brothers and sisters, can I plead with you? Don't be ashamed that you are salt and light in this world. Now, let me, let me sidestep that for just a second and say, this doesn't mean that we go around rubbing people's faces in our salt. A gentle and quiet spirit is also a, a piece of that. Our demeanor is vital. How we are salt and light is very important too. So it, it, there's a tightrope here. We want to be careful, but be careful of that conforming to the world and the pressure. But he doesn't leave us with an empty vacuum. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This conforming is what we are called to take off. The Lord does not leave us naked and call us to empty. Rather, he now shows us what to put on. In other words, okay, I'm not going to be conformed to the world. Um, say somebody just gets saved. Okay, somebody just gets born again this week. They just come to Christ, they're a brand new Christian, and they go, for 35 years, I've been living my life based on what I heard on this news channel and what my parents told me and what my uncle told me and what I just wanted by nature. And now I'm in Christ, and now I'm new, and now I'm fresh, now I've got the Word of God, the Spirit of God. What does life look like for me? This is the text for you. The text says, now it's time to get renewed. Now, not renewed in the sense of, okay, one, one and done, but now it's time to get renewed by the continual reading of the word, 
by the continual exposure to the body, by the continual exposure to the teaching of the word from good theologians and pastors and teachers, and by the Spirit of God taking the truth of the word and sowing that in your soul, so therefore you actually think differently. You've been renewed daily, day by day by day. No longer are you the old dead guy. I mean that spiritually speaking. When you say, man, I was living for my own lust, I was living for my own life, and it left me in a pit. Now I'm born again, I'm in Christ, and I want to know. I don't want to just be empty inside. I want freshness. I want newness. So where's that coming from? The Word of God is where it comes from. And this is what's so cool about when somebody comes to Christ and is born again, is you watch them and blinders get taken off, and they think differently. Perhaps they raise their kids differently. We have some friends who their son was still a younger guy, but he was raising him. They were raising him in the world, raising him as just the unsaved family did. They got saved, and they had to take a massive U-turn in how they instructed their children. And it was amazing. It was beautiful to watch. Because mom and dad are being renewed. The kids don't know what is going on with mom and dad. And there's freshness in the family. Because they are now a living sacrifice. Now it's Christ. No longer Dan. I'm not, not living for Dan anymore. That life stinks. I want to live for Christ. And I want to be used for him. Used in his service. By the way, the conforming is simply an assimilation to a pattern somebody has put you in. Transforming is actual transformation of change from the inside out. So when you look at the world and you say, wow, people are just conforming. Well, it's the path of least resistance is what it is. And so... How do I not upset my friends, upset my... Okay, I'll just do whatever they tell me to do. Well, that you're conforming. You don't really believe it. You don't really want in on it. You're just trying to fit the mold, so that way, path of least resistance. I'm sorry, Christian. You don't get that choice. There's a lot of resistance the closer you become to Jesus. You, you, the closer you become more like Christ. A lot of resistance. Buckle up. As we're being renewed as we're being transformed by the renewal of our mind, the passage says that we start to test. I think this is interesting. The, the idea is to, is to weigh something, to see if it's real, if that's really it. It says that you begin to... Uh, look, look at the passage. It says, um, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This, this happens. I have sat in my office with folks who just came to Christ, and they're starting to test stuff. And typically what it would look like is, is maybe, maybe somebody, there's a particular thing that they've practiced their whole life, and they look at you and they say, and I love how they, would, how they word it, is that still okay? <laughs> and the answer should not be from the preacher, yes or no, because I'm not God. The answer should be, what do you see in the Word? You test it. You test to see if this is pleasing to Him or not pleasing to Him. And as our minds being renewed by the truth of the, of the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, in the midst of the people, we start to detect that which is not true from a mile away. So if somebody comes to my door, a really nice, happy person comes to my door and informs me that Jesus Christ didn't die for my sin, I can spot him a mile away. Somebody comes to my door and says, Jesus Christ is not God, not eternal, spot him a mile away. 
Why? Because I got saved yesterday? No, because of the renewing of my mind by the truth. If somebody comes to me and says, well, I just know that God just wants me to be happy, and so I'm just going to start sleeping with my girlfriend. Really? God wants you to be happy. Would he, would he want you to be happy by, disobe- by disobedience to him? Answer? Of course not. How do I know that? From the word. It's been renewed. My mind is being renewed. I'm recognizing, no, that's right. No, that's not right. Not because it feels right to me. Not because the news channel told me it was right. Not because the government informed me it was right. Because of the word of God. That's where it came from. I'm not conformed to this world of being transformed by the renewal of my mind. By the way, anytime a bank teller, they memorize the true bill to recognize the fake. Bank tellers don't go and recognize every counterfeit bill out there. They know the truth so well that when a fake comes in, immediately know that that's a lie. I think that's what happens to us, beloved, is that we recognize the truth of the word, we recognize that which is reality so well, we spot the fake. So here's a challenge. Now, I, I rarely give like a real tangible challenge because I am I'm a firm believer the Spirit of God applies the preaching to your life on many different levels and many different kinds of things, okay? I believe that. That's a conviction of mine, so I want to leave that open. So let me just give you a kind of a sidebar challenge. When was the last time you read the, God, you read the Word of God from leather to leather? The last time you read the Bible in its totality. All of Genesis, all of Exodus, all of Leviticus, all of Numbers, all of all 66 books in its totality. Well, here's a challenge I have for you. How on earth could you be, be getting more and more renewed by the word of God that you keep holding at arm's length? And I'm not talking down to anybody. I'm speaking from personal experience where I thought for many years, yeah, I'm reading the Bible. If somebody asked me, of course I'm reading the Bible. But I wasn't tracking. I wasn't keeping track of it. And you know what I was doing? I was cutting myself so much slack that I really wasn't in the Word. My default position was to be lazy in the pursuit of God. And so I've taken up the task for a number of years now to try to read the Bible in its totality. Each year. So that way the whole of the Bible is read within a year. I challenge you to do that. Not twist in your arm. I just, how on earth would you expect to be renewed when the Bible's held at arm's length? I don't know. So, now here's a quick transition. If you take verses 1 and 2, and you say, okay, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, to, on the mercies of God, to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That passage, just kind of taken uh, by itself and then handed off, is an easy text to preach. And my guess would be somewhat of an easy text to receive the preaching on. Here's the tough part. (laughs) Is that this text has a context. This text sits somewhere. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, immediately goes to the context in which this will be practiced. First, he touches on 
the incredible need for humility. Um, why do you think he touches on humility? Does he touch on it because we're humble? <laughs> I'm, giving it, I'm giving you it easy. No, he doesn't touch on humility because we're humble people. He touches on humility because we're prideful people. We're arrogant people. We, by nature, are like that. So I want to look at this. Look with me, if you would, at verse 3. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, isn't it interesting, guys, that in the same passage, he speaks about being a living sacrifice and your mind being renewed. He still has to put this in here, that you would be humble. So here's the big question. You ready? Huge question. How can I become more humble? Answer, number one is, it is not by you telling yourself, i got to be more humble. Because the tough part is, if that's how we do it, and we just say, well, i got to be more humble, then the more humble we'll get, the more we'll inform people that we're humble. Which cancels out the humble, and then you're not humble. As my pastor said, if you give somebody a humility award, he'll wear it every day. So how, where does humility come from? And I think that's a really, really good question and a really good Bible question. Where does humility come from? And my answer is a little different than, than some. <clears throat> the sin of pride is at the basis of so much turmoil and division. Imagine this, guys. Imagine if pride was removed from every local church in the world. What would that church look like? No pride in any category in any local church in the world. The basis on which Paul is speaking is grace, as he has done earlier. Paul calls on these Christians to true humility before God, putting others before themselves. Philippians 2, 1 to 5 is a cross-reference. Here's my answer. True humility flows from an ever-growing knowledge of the truth. Now, Real quick, because I can hear maybe a yeah, but from a few of you, and I would too if I was sitting there. I would say, whoa, truth puffs up, the scripture says, but love edifies. So Dan, you can't just tell me that the smarter I get, the more I won't be prideful. Agreed, okay? I understand what you're saying, or what I'm saying, you're saying. I understand that. But at the same time, let me say this. I'm not simply saying that you have something between your ears. I'm saying you recognize the truth for that which it is. In other words, you recognize reality. And what is reality? Well, reality is that I have been born again by the work of the Spirit of God because of the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross, period. Not only that, but all the good that comes in my life is by grace, a gift from the Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes from him, the Scripture says. So much so, the Apostle Paul in Corinthians asked the question, what do you have that you did not receive? So if Dan Mason starts to go, God, you owe me this. God, all, all he has to do is simply respond by saying, and why do I owe you this? Because I worked for it. Where did you get the energy to work for it? Where'd you get the oxygen? Where'd you get the body? Where'd you get the, where'd you get the, the money? Where'd you get the, and just start asking that question. Eventually, the Lord will break you down to the point where you say, it is all of grace. The only thing I can shake my fist in his face and say to him that you owe me is his wrath. I've earned that. And I'll never get that. Why? Because of grace. 
That's true. That's reality. If that's reality, then, beloved, I'm convinced the more we look into that reality, the more humility will flow. I am, I am convinced nothing slays pride more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that's a big part of our conversion is when the gospel, we recognize our fallenness, we recognize the perfection of Jesus and the Father's perfect standard. When we see that, it slays our pride. That's a big part. That's why he says, blessed are those who um, are spiritually, um, blessed are the poor in spirit. We recognize our spiritual poverty. In reality, before God, there is no reason for pride. The Lord is not interested in your pride because it has nothing to do with reality. I would go so far as to say our pride and arrogance is insanity because it is so far from what is true. The tough part is all of us could be committed because we buy into this all the time and actually find ourselves puffed up. This is why religious pride is one of the most Ugly, dark, sinful, gross things in this world. Because we're actually getting pride from holy things. Which those holy things are supposed to slay that pride. An arrogant Christian should be an oxymoron. That shouldn't be. And so the Apostle Paul says, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. In other words, reality. I want you to think in line with that which is. Each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. All right. I've got to put this in kind of overdrive here, guys, to move move quickly. Because I'm not, my desire here is not to expound the rest of these verses. My desire is simply to show you Everything I've said up to this point fits within a specific context that the Apostle Paul sets it in. Look at your Bibles. Verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. All right. So there's an explanation here that is beautiful. It's a word picture is all it is. Um, We take the the physical body, human body, okay? Human body has many different pieces to it that are diverse and yet unified for a specific purpose, okay? You ever um, stubbed your big toe and then tried to walk on that foot, okay? You ever had a a cut on your hand and you had to have a bandage on there and you go to reach for something and the whole hand feels strange? You ever burnt the roof of your mouth with hot pizza? Okay. So isn't it interesting? The whole body is going, what's wrong with the pinky toe? The whole thing is affected. The whole thing is bothered because of one piece. So body, lots of members, all diverse, yet unified for a specific purpose. Boom. Now we put this up here and we say, the Apostle Paul is saying here, this is how the body of Christ is. Made up of many different members, in other words, Christians, with so many differing gifts and talents of who they are, so diverse, and yet unified for the purpose of building up one another for the glory of God. Now, isn't it interesting that verses 1, 2, and 3 slide into the context 
of what body life looks like, of what life looks like being with the body of Christ, being with the church. Some people like to differ a little bit on this as far as is this the local church or is this the universal church? I'm not too concerned about that. Um, it can certainly resp- be in reference to the universal church. In other words, every believer. If you go to Kenya, when you're down there, you're going to be around other believers, and this will apply. But let's funnel it down, shall we? Who are we really dealing with Sunday in, Sunday out, throughout the week? It's a local body. And I would imagine that's specifically what he's speaking to here, the church in Rome. This is specifically speaking to the local body. So the question is, my dear friends, God, where do you want me to be a living sacrifice? Where can I, where can I lay my life down for you daily? And I'm going to say family aside, because I think it begins in the home. The text says, within the body of Christ, within the church family, It's amazing that a sliver in your pinky toe can ruin your whole night. A burn on the back of your hand can bother you for the rest of the night. You ever had an abscessed tooth? Man, there's some some wicked pain. The whole body's bothered by it because one member's being hurt. The body is the church. The body parts are the Christians. The functions of the body are the gifts of the church. The diversity of functions, the diversity of the gifts, the unity of purpose is the Christians co-laboring together for Christ's glory. And Paul lists several gifts here. I'm not going to explain every gift because I'm out of time, but prophecy, speaking forth on behalf of God, service, general giving of self, one who teaches, one who exhorts, one who contributes, one who leads, one who does acts of mercy, The metaphor does two very important things. Number one, it rebukes the proud by showing that their gift is not independent of the rest of the body. And number two, it gives encouragement to the downtrodden by showing them that their gift is a vital component to the health of the body. You're needed and you are in need. That's kind of the simple layout. You are needed and you are in need in the context of God's people. Saved. Sacrificial life, transformed by a renewal of your mind, humility in light of truth, in need and needed in the body, willingness to use those gifts, and joyful service to the body. Beloved, let us be very careful not to take verses 1 and 2 and separate it from this. I think we do, I think we do a huge mistake when we take verses 1 and 2 and separate it from the rest of this chapter. So let me lay on the plane and draw this to a conclusion. And I'm not planning on stepping on your toes. If I do, I do. It's truly amazing just how fast a person can grow bored and even begin to abuse a precious privilege. I'll never forget my first motorcycle, my dad's boss, gave me a Honda 100, 79, or a 71 Honda CB100. Candy apple red, chrome, it's gorgeous. Just a cool little motorcycle. I could not believe my eyes when he let me have that. It's in a junkyard somewhere today, I think. And at some point I started to not abuse it, but just take it completely for granted. It's a great privilege, a wonderful gift that when I received it blew me away. I have no idea where it is now, and to be perfectly honest with you, I don't at all. 
Taking a privilege for granted is so easy and can happen so easy in our lives. Being a part of the body of Jesus Christ is truly an awesome privilege. I have come to grips with this more in the last two years than all the years prior. The Lord Jesus died upon the cross for the purchasing of this group. You're here because of the death of the Son of God. When I say you're here, I don't mean in this building. I mean in Him. He has so kindly and graciously made us a part of this body. I need and I am needed. So let me be frank. I don't think we have any Franks here this morning, right? The church is often an easy target. I know this. I've seen this. You've seen it, I'm sure. How many times have you heard folks say, the problem with the church is dot, dot, dot. Unfortunately, far too often, we as the church can find words of sharp judgment in our mouths for the church. I wonder sometimes if we've forgotten that when we talk like that, we're actually talking about the bride of Jesus Christ. That's a term used in the scripture to refer to the church as the bride of Jesus. How would I feel if there was a particular individual that came up to me consistently and said, you know what the problem with Amber is? Yeah, yeah, amen, brother. No, he's, he's, he's right. <laughs> this will be Lloyd's last Sunday with us, so. <laughs> if somebody were to come up and say, you know what your wife did? You know what the problem with your wife is? You know how tired I am of being around your wife? You know, well, number one, he wouldn't get it out. <laughs> I wonder how often we stop when we start to criticize and slander the body of Christ to stop and think, I'm speaking about the bride of Jesus. The ones he loves, the ones he died for, the ones he's growing and maturing. The ones I'm called to be a living sacrifice to. Beloved, I simply want to close with an exhortation. It's simple. Sounds simple, but it's vital. I encourage you to love the church. Warts and all. Um, I have never been cut deeper than by Christians. I've never had higher joys than from Christians. I'm sure you've been hurt by Christians. I'm sure all that has been a part of your life. I know it. You know it. Sad part is I've also hurt Christians. I've cut them deep with my pride, my arrogance, my stupidity, my sin. I want to charge you. You don't have the choice to love or not love the church. You're commanded by the living God to love the body of Christ. How could we not love those whom he loves if we say we love him?
Give your life to the service of the Lord Jesus in the hard work of serving his church, dime by dime, minute by minute, little by little, as living sacrifices. And how do we do that? I'm convinced we do that by being a vital part of his, of his church. I don't just mean PCBC, obviously. I mean of believers. And so... I believe, don't, ever, don't ever take verses 1, 2, and 3 and detach it from 4 through 8. This is together. And it's specific by God's design. That, beloved, if we are truly pig Christians, you know where it would be seen the most? On our dealings with each other. We'll fail. Let me just warn you. We'll fail at it. All the time. I do all the time. I fail people all the time. That doesn't change anything as far as the direction I want to go in. To be an all-in believer is seen in serving believers. How do I know that? Very simple. John chapter 13. All people will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the charge and the challenge. God, I, I confess my sin of, at times, Lord, a sharp tongue, a judgmental spirit. Father, please, please help me to recognize that this group of people that have been purchased by your blood. Father, you love in a profound way. And God, you have called us to partner together for the goal of glorifying you by sharing the good news, seeing others come to Christ, being discipled, and Father, maturing as believers in Jesus Christ. Dear God, please help me to die to self. I want you, Lord. I do not want Dan Mason to be at the center stage of my life. I want Christ there. So, dear Lord, I feel that I have emptied my bag of the seed of your word. And I plead for your Holy Spirit to do the, do the task of change in our lives, God. In Jesus' precious name, amen.